Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to preview USC and UCLA with my buddy and partner on the Podcast of Champions. Make sure you check that out. We cover the Pac-12 each and every week on the Podcast of Champions, Pac-12podcast.com. David Woods does a great job covering uh, the UCLA Bruins for Bro, Bruin Report Online. That's also on the 24-7 Sports Network. So Dave and I are partners on the Podcast of Champions, and he's going to come on this show and talk about the UCLA Bruins, of course, facing off against the USC Trojans. If you have any questions or comments for the show, please drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you give us a call at 424-254-9141. You can leave us a voicemail with that number, or you can text us at that number. We'll play some text for you today. We got voicemails. We got emails. Lots of stuff to get to. So what the format of the show will be the first segment. We'll preview the game with David Woods. And then in the second segment, I'll go through like we normally do in these preview shows and just answer some of the questions that you guys have sent in uh, about the USC Trojan team, a lot about the future. Of course, this is the last regular season game, so a lot of concerned fans out there about the future of the program. So I'll do my best to answer all of those questions. Without further ado, let's get David on the line. Welcome in, David. How are you? I'm doing great, Ryan. Long time, no talk. Yeah, it's been a while. We t- we do talk a lot because we do the podcast of champions together. But this is the l- rivalry week. This is where the teams we cover get to clash and play each other. And both teams seem to be on a bit of a high note, except last weekend. I don't know what happened with the with the Bruins day, but beating Stanford, beating ASU, beating Colorado, uh, impressive looking team after that. You know the early preseason stuff with Chip Kelly. But what happened against Utah? And can this team bounce back just a week later against their big rival? I mean, I appreciate the pump up, but I think a 49 to three loss to Utah kind of wipes out the positive feelings from the three game winning streak. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's really the question is whether they can bounce back. I think emotionally, more than really anything schematically from that game, losing by 46 points is one of those devastators. That's it's it's worse than you know losing a whatever USC did against Oregon, right, where you lose by like 30. 46 points where you only score three um, and you just kind of have the will systematically taken out of you by an opponent. That's a tough thing to bounce back from. And that's going to be the challenge. It's going to be a big challenge for Chip Kelly and company this week. I think USC presents a slight more favorable matchup in a few different ways than uh, Utah did, but it's still a very good offense. Michael Pittman especially is going to be very tough to cover. If you watch Utah against this UCLA secondary um, and watch their tight end have his way with Stephen Blaylock in man coverage. The visions of Michael Pittman going for like 200 plus receiving yards are, uh, they seem very real right now. Yeah, that's certainly the strength of USC's uh, offense. The strength of UCLA's offense, Joshua Kelly had a huge game against USC last year. He's second in the Pac 12 in rushing. He's got 10 touchdowns, 939 yards. How's he kind of developed this year? So uh, Kelly started off the year a little bit hurt. Um, He dinged up his knee in practice in fall camp, and then it took him, I would say, probably four games before he started to round into form. Um, He's been really good. Big part of why there was that surge in that three-game winning streak where UCLA's offense started to look a little bit better and, and just the whole team generally looked a little bit better. He's Back to, I think, nearly full health. Um, He's not quite as explosive as he was last year, largely because the offensive line just isn't quite as good and hasn't quite gelled as much as last year. But he's still doing the same stuff. He gets hit for what should be no gain, and he grinds out three or four yards. Um, He's really great about taking plays that are blocked for nothing or blocked for one or two yards and just turning them into three or four more yards than that. Um, He runs with a great combination of power and speed, just kind of does everything really well. Nothing spectacular um, at any real level, but does everything really well. Um, I think he should have another good game. I I don't know that I would predict him going for 300 yards or nearly like he did last year, though. The uh, sophomore quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, how would you assess his play? Uh, Not a real high Completion percentage, 59.9%. He does got, he had 17 touchdown passes with 10 picks, 
also ran for three more touchdowns. How, how would you uh, say he's played this year? So I would say it's been a mixed bag, and I think there have been moments of real catastrophic failure mixed in with moments of brilliance. He's still very young and early on his learning curve. Um, if you remember from him as a prospect, he only started one year of high school football um, at quarterback, and then it was halftime last year, um, and then he's been the full-time starter this year. So he still doesn't have that many reps, but you'll see him make some really beautiful throws and plays where you're just like, wow, that guy is a dynamic athlete. He can do anything on a football field. And I think there's also been four or five times this year where he has just fumbled the ball in like empty handed, no contact situation, just drops the ball. So it's just, it can be really hit or miss. Last week was a big miss. He was very bad for most of the game um, after the opening drive when he looked pretty good. But after that, he was he was really rough. And it looked much more like the Thompson Robinson we saw at the beginning of the year. But he had long stretches in the middle part of the year where he looked pretty good. So it's tough to know what you're going to get from, from week to week. Um, I still think he has the potential to be a good quarterback, um, but he's not there yet on any consistent level. But Week to week, he could show it. Um, you know, he might suddenly play at you know his ninety percent level this week. It's just hard to know going into the game. Who have his uh, top targets been? Looks like Kyle Phillips, the the freshman's doing well, and uh, the transfer Devin Asiasi as well at tight end. Yeah, I would say Kyle Phillips has probably been his most comfortable and consistent target. Um, if you recall, Theo Howard was on the team, but he um, elected to transfer, put his name in the transfer portal. Uh, four games into the year after not really playing much because of an injury. So Phillips has kind of stepped into the role as more or less the number one receiver. Um, you'll see him, you know, throw a little bit to Chase Coda and Jalen Irwin, but Phillips has been by far the most reliable guy, um, best hands, most reliable at getting open. Um, and Devin Asiasi has been good. He hasn't been Caleb Wilson. Um, and so I don't think he's been the consistent outlet that Thompson Robinson needs. So you'll see a lot of balls to Kyle Phillips. They've also used a walk-on Ethan Fernia a little bit, um, especially more of late. But Phillips is the main deal there. Uh, Demetric Felton is another name to watch. He is mostly a running back, but he's most devastating as a pass catcher out of the backfield. They'll sometimes line him up in the slot as well to take advantage of some mismatches. Um, but he's probably another guy to watch in that pass game. Uh, they generally don't throw it to too many pure wide receivers. Phillips is more or less the number one guy there. David, on the uh, defensive side of the ball, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, USC has a freshman quarterback, Keaton Slovis, who's thrown for 400 mm-hmm. yards the last two games. Apparently, the UCLA secondary may, might not be you know, playing at a high level, giving up almost 300 yards a game. What, what do you look for in that matchup? Because it seems like a sort of a mismatch there. Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair <laughs> assessment, Ryan. Um, yeah, so here's the thing too. So the, the thing that was making UCLA's defense actually semi-respectable in that three game stretch um, against Stanford, Colorado and ASU was that they were bringing pressure and sending blitzers and using their smaller defensive lineman package, but also sending pretty frequent blitzes. A lot of times that was married with man coverage. If we've learned anything from watching USC this year, the, the general rule is don't play man coverage against yes. USC. I'm looking at this one, and I think it's a pick-your-poison. When UCLA has gone to its kind of zone-heavy passive defense, they've been horrible at all levels. But that might be the only way to really play against USC. From my personal preference standpoint, I would still prefer they go aggressive and just, look, if Michael Pittman's going to beat you, he's going to beat you, no matter what you do. But I think the only chance they have is if they get like a devastating amount of pressure on Keaton Slovis, and that's going to require their best interior rush guys. Oso Digazu is going to have to play the game of his life at basically a three-tech, but they're going to need to get pressure on him um, because I don't see a coverage plan that works for UCLA against this one. I think if they zone, they've run a terrible zone this year. Uh, if they man, yeah, they're going to get beat, but they might you know, occasionally create a negative play on Slovis. And I think that's their best chance to shut down this offense. Uh, Osa Digazua leads the uh, Bruins in sacks with three and a half, I believe, uh, and tackles for loss with nine. Who are some of the other defensive standouts for UCLA? Um, well, he's been the one that's been like exclusively a positive. Um, there have been other guys <laughs> who have had moments um, okay. where they've been good, uh, but it's been a mixed bag there too. Uh, Chris Barnes, he had a really nice stretch of play. 
uh, in that three-game winning streak um, and then reverted to a lot of really bad habits against Utah, got taken out of a lot of plays, overran a lot of plays, tried to jump at Tyler Huntley when he pump faked, and that left him you know, unable to deal with Huntley then scrambling past him. But he had some good moments. If he can get back to a high level of play, that'll be good. Darnay Holmes, I think, has been solid this year, but I would say he's actually not as good as he was last year. He, too, I think, started the year a little bit dinged up, um, so that may have played into it um, somewhat. But I, it's it's not a real talent-heavy defense, I would say. Um, I think Keyshawn Lucer South is another guy who, if they're going the pass rush route, if they're going to put pressure on Foyleus, he's another guy who has to have a big game. And he's had him this year after coming back from the suspension after three games. He's he's definitely been a, a brighter spot for the defense, but not a ton to like in this in this UCLA defense. Just no one's really popped. All right. Uh, turnovers are always a big deal, especially in rivalry games. Uh, UCLA had some issues, I believe, five turnovers against Utah. USC is actually last in the conference in turnover margin. Where, where have the Bruins sat this year as far as uh, forcing turnovers and taking care of the football? Taking care of the football has been uh, pretty bad. Um, <laughs> I, again, when you're, when you're quarter, I, I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson, I was looking at stats recently and don't, don't quote me on this, even though I am on the record on this show. I think he leads the league in quarter in, in turnovers by a single player, which basically means the quarterback turnovers because yes. um, he's had so many fumbles along with the 10 picks. Um, and when your quarterback's turning it over like that, I mean, you're going to be pretty bad at turnover margin. They've generated a few. I don't think this is – I think the Washington State game was one, I think, where they recovered. It was like four or five fumbles. But they haven't been like a consistent, you know – turning you over a ton type team. Um, if they were, they'd be a better defense. As it is, you know, it's it's been there in spurts. But the, it, turnovers, it's not really something you can easily control. I mean, it's a weird game. The ball's a funny shape. It bounces funny. Yeah. Um, so the simple fact that Dorian Thompson-Robinson is, has, has turned it over so much in unforced situations is probably the biggest story from the turnover margin for UCLA. On the uh, special teams front, uh, I know J.J. Molson doesn't have the best uh, field goal percentage, but how overall have the special teams units been for the Bruins? Better than in years past. Um, kick, and return, uh, kick and punt return coverage has been actually pretty solid, and they've been bad for three or four years now. So it's a, that's a big switch for UCLA. And I would say in their own return game, uh, Kyle Phillips is definitely somebody to watch on punt returns. Um, I think he's averaging something crazy, like 20 yards of punt return. But he has a punt return for a touchdown this year. Felton on kickoff returns, uh, he has a kickoff return for a touchdown this year. So there's there's some definitely dynamic playmaking ability there. UCLA has not been a frequent kick returning team. Um, I think you wrote a story about Baxter and how frequent USC likes to return kick. Sure. Uh, UCLA is playing more of the, uh, the conservative style on that, which is just fair catch it and take the ball at the 25 for the most part. The kicking game has actually been the weakness. Uh, JJ Molson, I think has missed four or five kicks now and just hasn't looked anywhere near what you would expect from a senior UCLA kicker. Like, Look, UCLA, you don't have a lot to hang on to as a as a football fan the last, like, 25 years or whatever. <laughs> but usually your field goal kicker by his senior year is competing for the Groza, right? And Molson has just not looked like that. Chip Kelly did something odd where he changed out his holder this year. So some speculation that has something to do with it, but he just hasn't been that solid. And, you know, punting, they've been fine. They have a transfer, Wade Lees, who's been fine. He's an Aussie guy. Uh, last thing for you, David, uh, how do you think this one is going to go? Your expert opinion. How's this one going to go down? I think it's a 13 and a half point spread or so. Uh, USC's favorite in this one. What did I pick on our, on our show? I believe our, you took a podcast of champions. I believe on the podcast of champions, you picked the USC Trojans, I believe. No, no, you picked the UCLA Bruins. I picked the USC Trojans. Which I yeah, never, I which picked I don't the Bruins, normally. and it's so funny because, like, by the day, I oscillate, right? And you've caught me at a day where I'm like, I think USC wins by like, uh, I don't know, 45 points. Um, <laughs> I don't know. In reality, I think it it's it's with UCLA this year. I've had a really bad feel for them because they have been so inconsistent week to week. I think USC has. If you just look at it on paper, USC should blow them out. There's so much to like about USC's matchup um, with those receivers against the secondary. But I've also seen USC, you know, score 28 points in like half a minute against ASU and then do nothing, <laughs> like literally nothing for three quarters. So I don't think the consistency is there for USC either. I think they've been prone to some stuff, and I don't quite buy that Graham Harrell is the only one calling plays because sometimes this offense looks 
mighty Clay Hilton esque. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's. I think that USC has a lot of favorable matchups. I think if there's one thing playing in UCLA's favor, the interior of the USC line doesn't impress me a ton. Um, I think that interior pass rush might be able to generate some upfront pressure against Slovis, just throw him off his spot enough. I think Slovis is really good, but I think he's still a freshman. You can still throw him off with pressure to an extent. Um, and if they're able to do that, they can probably hold this offense to somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 35 points. And then it's just a question of what the offense can do against that USC defense. Again, it's a talented USC defense. It always is. But Joshua Kelly's pretty good. There's confidence, I think, on this offensive staff that they can scheme against Clancy Pendergast after doing it pretty well last year. So I would expect them to generate some points. I think USC probably wins. Let's just keep it consistent with my POC pick. I think USC probably wins by 10. Okay. Um, call it like... 3828 something like that. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting that you know wh- what will this UCLA offense do against Clancy Pendergast defense because you saw what they were able to do last year and if you can run the ball well and control the clock then maybe you keep those wide receivers cuz that's that's probably the most the biggest mismatch, right? Is USC's wide receivers against UCLA secondary. So you got to mitigate that on the other side of the ball by, you know, by running the football. Yeah, I, I agree and uh it's going to be, you know, if you look at that Utah game, um, even with everything else going on, UCLA was able to control the clock. I mean, they controlled, <laughs> like they actually kind of controlled the pace of that game. Now that's a weird thing to say when they lost by 46 <laughs> points, but it's something to be said. Um, so yeah, if they can, if they can run the ball, if they can control the clock and just keep it so that it's a lower possession game for, for USC, like keep them to 10 or under possessions or something like that. And then you really have to only throw them off of like four of those or five of those to give yourself a chance to win it. Yeah. Um, and I think looking at this USC offense, it's been really good at times, but there's also just been moments where you're like, what are they even doing? And, you know, with maybe they won't be able to run the ball super well because it's still going to be mainly Stephen Carr and Keenan Kristen, I think. Does it, does it sound like Malapai is going to be back? He practiced this week, so there's, they're a little more optimistic, but we don't know for sure. We'll see. Um, there's def- I think the scenario where USC blow- blows them out is totally live. I think um, a narrow win for either team is alive. I don't see. I don't see anything even like last year where it was whatever an eight point seven point win for UCLA. I forget the final score, but it felt like more. Like yeah. it felt like US- UCLA had really dominated the game. I don't see that happening this year. I think it's a slightly weaker UCLA team at this point in the season and a better USC team. All right. Dave does a great job covering the UCLA Bruins for Bro. Make sure you check out his stuff. Thanks for coming on, Dave. No problem, man. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Come right back and I'll answer all your questions about this USC Trojan football team. Have you heard of Nordic Knots? The Scandinavian rug company that has become the insider brand gracing some of the most beautiful homes around the world? With rug designs by some of the world's leading designers and a signature collection of wool and jute rugs in modern colors? But Nordic Knots is not just about great design. Their mission is to make quality rugs that last, with no compromises. Goodweave certified, handmade pieces woven in all natural materials. At NordicKnots.com, it's easy to find a rug that's just right. A curated collection in lots of colors and sizes to choose from. Even custom sizes are possible. So, whether you're the type who loves the understated elegance of their luxury essentials or the bold statements from their top designer collaborations, you can't really go wrong. Oh, and don't tell anyone, but right now, you can get a free sample with the code INNERCIRCLE. NordicKnots.com all right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I want to tell you about my bookie. Thanksgiving week is coming up, and my bookie is offering a risk-free bet. It's on the Bears-Lions game. That's on Thanksgiving. All you got to do, pick a team, bet against the spread, up to 250 bucks, and if you win, boom, you get extra holiday spending money, and everyone can use that. We know that. But if you lose, congratulations as well. My bookie is going to give you your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose the bet. It's no risk. It's all gravy. Make sure you check out my bookie. This is the deal of a lifetime. 
It's a no-lose bet. Anyone can win because even if you lose, you get your money back. So, you know, if you have a lot of questions about sports betting, there's you know more talk about how becoming legal everywhere. Don't sweat it. My bookie has great customer service. They can walk you through the entire process. And the best part is for this Thanksgiving week, if you join, you still have this one last shot to take advantage of this incredible offer. So if you go to mybookie.ag, make your first deposit, use promo code Peristyle. That's promo code Peristyle. And my bookie is also going to match your deposit dollar for dollar. So that's a great jump start to your bankroll. And that's already on top of the risk-free bet. So two ways to win. It's amazing there. Go to mybookie.ag today. Make sure you get in on this great deal for Thanksgiving week. Mybookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. All right, before we jump into the questions, I wanted to talk to you a little about uh, the college football playoff rankings. Now, if you looked at the AP poll this week, USC 7-4, and uh, one last couple of games, but USC was others receiving votes, not ranked in the AP, not ranked in the coaches poll. Would have been 33rd in the AP poll if you project out past the 25. You look at the number of votes that the USC Trojans got. Washington, another Pac-12 team, uh, they were coming in at 34, just behind USC, even though Washington uh, beat USC, Washington 6-4 and four right now. What's going on? Well, the college football rankings come out, and that's from the committee, and it's kind of a big deal. It's weird that USC's in this position as a, I don't want to say spoiler, but they're contributing to the college football playoff, but not as a participant, really as an opponent, sort of like they're the pawn for Oregon and Utah to talk about. Now USC is in the top 25. They're ranked 23rd in the college football playoff pool. So uh, only two teams that have uh, four losses are ranked. USC is one of those two teams. That gives Oregon a boost because Oregon has a win over another top 25 team. And it also gives uh, Utah a boost because the loss is now to a ranked team. So they're both still uh, behind um, Alabama in the rankings. And a lot of the stuff is going to shake out. But the, the Pac-12, and I wouldn't have believed this like a month ago, is in a much better spot now as far as one of the teams making it to the college football playoff. So I'm really curious to see how this goes because you know USC is now playing a part of this. And if the, the Trojans can beat the Bruins, uh, like we talked about with Dave, uh, they're you know two touchdown favorite in this game. That really helps the Pac-12. It really helps Oregon. It really helps Utah. So I'm curious to see how this all plays out. Then USC, of course, will have their bye week at the end of the season where everyone else is playing. USC will be sitting around hoping at some point, uh, if USC is able to beat UCLA, that Utah loses to one of the two cellar dwellers. But I do not believe that's going to happen. All right, let's jump into some of these questions. Uh, we got an email from, I don't know if they put the name here. Sorry about that. Uh, it's uh, It says, U- USC's future, Urban Meyer or bust. Hello, Ryan. Enjoy the show with Coach Hyde. Listen to it while I was on a, a secret deck aboard the Royal Princess while docked at uh, Puerto Vallarta. Uh, I agree with the coach. You're on a secret deck? I didn't know that. I've never been on a cruise, but I didn't know they had secret decks. He said, I agree with the coach that it's Urban Meyer or bust. The issue is not going after Coach Meyer. Uh, USC must offer him the ultimate salary, team control, benefits, and bonus package uh, to make it an offer he can't refuse. We've observed in the past coaches being interviewed and even offered, but they're not hired because USC went off uh, went on the cheap. We cannot afford to allow Coach Meyer to slip away. I was contacted by the uh, Trojan uh, Athletic Fund program for my 2020 renewal this pay week. Uh, I think he means this past week. My stance is this. I will not renew my membership nor my season tickets if Helton is, uh, remains or Coach Meyer is not hired. I'm done with this continued mockery of our once great football program they used to be referred to as, quote, the program. Not anymore. Thoughts? Thanks to you and your team. You all do a great job. Fight on and beat the Bruins. Um, sorry, I didn't get a name on that one. But thanks for the email. Here's the, yeah, here's what I would say. I mean, obviously, it's your money. You do what you want as far as uh, your membership uh, in the athletic fund and, uh, you know, any of the Trojan clubs or your season tickets. Uh, I feel like this is different than years past. I feel there have been so many bad decisions made that everyone knows you can't afford to make another bad decision. I'm not saying it's a guarantee that you're going to get a guy like Urban Meyer, but for the first time in a long time, 
I think they're going to try. And what level of effort will they put in? Will even that level of effort be good enough? Would Urban Meyer come for anything? Um, I, I agree with you. You have to put an offer that he can't refuse. And if he does refuse it, you did all you could. And I, But if you do it in a half-assed way, and I've said this before, that's not good enough. When they looked at Chris Peterson and interviewed him, it was like, well, maybe, but we want you to do things our way, which you don't say that to a winner. You don't tell, you know, you don't hire somebody who's really good at their job, a proven winner, and go, I know this has worked for you in the past, but I want you to do it our way, especially when your way hasn't been winning. Um, that's been USC's biggest problem. They haven't wanted to change. They've wanted to keep things going the way they like to do it, even though uh, pretty much college football has passed you by and, and that's not the way to win anymore. You have to invest. You have to go all out in these sports and USC hasn't been doing that and you saw the issues uh, from that. So I feel like, yeah, you're right. Um, you got to go out and try to win. You got to go out and try to win this. You know, you got to be 1-0 every week. That's what coaches say. You got to be 1-0 going after Urban Meyer. And if you're losing, if you lose that one, you better give it your best shot because then someone like our emailer, you know, what would you feel if USC does get rid of Clay Helton and then does try to hire Urban Meyer and goes all out and he's like, man, this is an amazing offer. I just, my health issues, I can't come back to, to coaching. Would you re renew your season tickets then? I mean, I feel like that's all USC can do is they can give it their best effort and then go out and try to get somebody else that's really good. Um, but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. But yeah, that's I, I agree with the emailer there. This one's from Rob. Uh, timing of coaching move. Hi, Ryan. This is Rob from Los Alamitos, class of 1985. If our football team beats UCLA Saturday and Utah beats Arizona, I'm thinking we Trojan fans cannot expect a coaching change prior to Utah's game next Saturday against Colorado. Even though no one expects Colorado to win, if they do, our team would be in the Pac-12 championship game. And the athletic department and administration would look unbelievably foolish if they had fired our coach beforehand. Or is the urgency such that we simply cannot wait? What do you think? Thanks, Rob. Uh, I would disagree with your premise that um, firing Clay Helton before you know for sure if you're going to be in a championship game would make uh, them look unbelievably, quote, unbelievably foolish. Uh, I don't think that's the case at all. I think what you have to look at is what's the attendance going to be, you know, uh, for another year. I don't think you can do this game by game anymore. I think you're so far beyond that. You've got, you know, four and a half years or something of data and you're looking at that and you're looking at the worst recruiting class in USC history and you're looking at uh, empty butts and seats. You're looking at a team that's playing below their level of talent. You look at a team that's lost 11 games over the last almost two years now with by far the best roster in the Pac-12. That doesn't make any sense. So I think you're not going to look foolish. No one's going to be shocked if you, if Clay Helton gets fired. Even if USC ends up making it to the Pac-12 championship game. I don't think people are going to go, wow, that's, that's unbelievable. Now, you, there's a few talking heads out there that'll say that. But for the most part, you're, you're, there's not going to be a whole lot of fans that are like, I can't believe... We fired our coach and he's going to the Pac-12 championship game. No, I think you, you've seen the body of work. Uh, this is still a four-loss team that shouldn't be a four-loss team. It was a seven-loss team from last year. You're seeing a lot of the same problems. It's great they're playing better right now. And that's, you know, and you know if you, that keeps going, they beat UCLA. Yeah, that's great. It's a nice finish to the season. You got to finish strong. But that's not moving the needle as far as recruiting and stuff goes. People know that this is a lame duck presidency, essentially. So what needs to happen is it need to go in another direction. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think if I'm not sure something's going to happen soon after the UCLA game during this bye week, it could, it could wait, like you said, till after all the data is in play. Um, and from, you know, Mike Bones, uh, interview with the LA times, he said he wasn't going to rush into things. Now, is that a smoke screen? Uh, we don't know. We don't know what that means, but looking at it, if they wait until after the bye week, yeah, maybe that's part of it, but I, I don't think USC would have egg on their face if they decide to pull a trigger because this is a five-year decision. This isn't a what's going to happen tomorrow. Like if you know USC gets a couple of fumbles and, and beats UCLA, like does that make a huge difference in the next five years of the program? I don't think so. Uh, Mike in Portland, class of '67. Uh, he's okay. This is interesting. 
I have not listened to your podcast for some time because of Coach Hyde. I listened to your post-Cal game podcast with Harvey Hyde today. And again, I'm so disappointed in him and his comments. He says we have to hire someone with a proven track record or we will not improve. Does he mean someone like John Robinson, John McKay, or Pete Carroll with their stellar records prior to arriving at SC? It is absolutely painful to hear Harvey Hyde talk uh, as it sounds like he has all the answers. Been there, done that, and just goes on and on just to hear himself talk. Old Harvey does not say too much about Urban's baggage. Do we really need more controversy associated with this program? I am not a big fan of Clay Helton as a coach either, but let's remember all the injuries we had and at least see how things play out. Clay just uh, can't seem to get us up for big games. Penalties uh, show a lack of discipline, and our special teams are a disaster, which is all coaching. So yes, Clay seems over his head. It would sure be nice to have another person like Dan on your show. Thanks, Mike in Portland. Okay, Mike, uh, first of all, Dan is on the show every week. So we have uh, four or five podcasts a week. And the you know one of them's with Harvey Hyde. One of them's with Dan Weber and Keely Yor and myself. One of them's a preview like this. There's a Keely Yor and Shotgun Sprattling podcast, the, the Family Feud. So you have a variety of podcasts each and every week you can listen to if you don't like what Harvey Hyde's saying. But to be fair... I've said the same thing as that, as Coach Harvey Hyde said. Dan Weber said the same thing as Coach Harvey Hyde said. Uh, Dan Weber doesn't even want you to think of another. Dan Weber said, yes, Clayton needs to go, and USC needs to hire Urban Meyer. And he won't even think about plan B. He won't even talk about anyone else outside of Urban Meyer. He's saying, that's the only name you should even look at. So the criticism of Harvey Hyde, I mean, that's fine, but we're all saying the same thing. And uh, yeah, USC won with Pete Carroll and John McKay and John Robinson. USC's way hasn't been to go hire uh, proven head coaches. The last time they did that was Howard Jones. And what happened? You know, I mean, they, they won a bunch of national championships. I think the time has passed, Mike, where you've tried that. You've tried to repeat Pete Carroll over and over and over again. That can't be your excuse every time you hire someone. Why hire anyone good? Other people we hired weren't necessarily good, and they worked out. Like That just seems like the most ridiculous argument ever. You've tried it the last three hires. They've all failed. Maybe go out and get someone who's done it before. Uh, I would say that would be my uh, you know, uh, advice, Mike. I'm not the athletic director, but that's what I would say. All right, let's uh, play a voicemail for you. Hi, Ryan. It's Jackson SF. I just wanted to comment on the coaching situation. We cannot continue uh, to manage the USC program on a week-by-week basis in order to justify a coach returning for another year. We have 4.5 years of data on Coach Helton. Another year will not improve recruiting. We have to make the call. I mean, you just look at his record versus Notre Dame, his blowout losses. He has a 65% winning percentage, which is very, very close to Larry Smith's 64% winning percentage. And Larry Smith went to three Rose Bowls, won three Pac-10 championships. I'm still shocked that I'm even defending Larry Smith, who I wanted out of here just the same. Anyway, we know that Helton is not the guy to take USC to a national championship. And as long as Carol Folt and Mike Bone uh, put forth national championships as the goal, I think that it is insincere to the fans you know, to keep Clay Helton. We know that he will not take us there. As a matter of fact, I'm concerned if he has if he's even managing the bowl practice schedule. So please pull the plug, make the call, make everybody happy, except for maybe the Heltons. Thank you. Bye bye. Hey Jackson SF. Yeah, a lot of great points in there. You know, a lot of reasons why that you know do you feel like this program's on the verge of winning a national championship? No? Well He's had an opportunity. He's had plenty of opportunities. Um, everyone has injuries. Everyone has, you know, there's, there's all issues. Everyone plays freshmen. It happens all over the country. If you don't feel it's going the right direction, you just have to make a move. So I agree with you, Jackson. Thanks for the uh, voicemail. We got Kevin in Sun Devil Country. He said, ESPN did a feature on LSU's philosophy of developing wide receivers by using vision limiting goggles. Uh, receiving, catching, uh, re- I think he means receivers, catching balls behind doors as they spring open with the ball in mid-flight, or how all uh, receivers had to catch a minimum of 1,000 balls over the spring and summer. Uh, they continued with how they are uh, taking training ideas from the Saints and other NFL programs. 
ASU's Herm Edwards has uh, its program running like an NFL team with schedules, meetings, training, etc. USC is not a leader. Shoot, they're not even a follower. Why is the program program fallen so far behind? Should we just wait until a new coach is hired? Kevin in Sun Devil Country. Um, I think some of that is not necessarily Clay Helton's fault. I feel like there's been budget cuts. There have been people cut. They're not allowing different programs like that, or you know, maybe they're not being requested. To me, it's more about that's who was hired. They hired someone that wasn't going to go and say, all right, I need $2 million for this system because everyone's using it and, and our competitors are using it and blah, blah, blah. That's not something Clay Hilton is going to do or have a lot of power to wield in that um, department and get it. Well, if Urban Meyer came in or someone like that, he would say, I need $2 million for this. And he's going to push you until he gets it. And so that's where you hire a powerful head coach. They can get you some of those programs and you know, you're not going to get everything, but they'll get, he'll get his fair share where you hire someone like Clay Hilton, who was very happy to be there. Are you necessarily going to rock the boat all that much? And you know, you'd want to see Clay, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit more the longer he's been at the job. But it's been I think it's been tough because I mean he's you know, he was fighting for his job last year. He's fighting for his job again this year. You're not really in a position of power where you bring in someone like Urban Meyer, they're in a position of power, they can demand those kind of things. So and someone like that raises uh revenue significantly, and then you can get some of those programs and, and things like that. So yeah, I think USC's kind of been behind in that. A lot of that's coming from the athletic department. Now you got a new athletic director. I think they're going to increase budgets. You get a real uh, amazing coach. That'll also help things. This is from Ed in the Bay Area uh, on bye weeks. He said, I haven't really been paying attention to the schedule this year, but when the USC-UCLA game time was announced, I looked. And what do I see? One bye week for USC. Oh, I guess you can count the Thanksgiving weekend as a bye, but WTF. That's the second time USC has been scheduled a bye at the end of the year when everyone else gets real buys. Can you point this out to the new athletic director? This, uh, and he used a, 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 pro, a profane word, uh, this poop has got to stop. Thanks, fight on in the Bay Area. So there was an advantage uh, for USC having a bye week last time in 2017 because they had a bye week before the Pac-12 championship game, which is actually a short week. So Stanford played on Saturday and had to come back and play again on Friday where USC had an extra week to prepare. So sometimes it works to your advantage. Uh, I think that's something that has to be addressed with the Pac-12. And, you know, I don't think USC should be punished or Stanford should be punished for playing Notre Dame. And that's usually what ends up happening. So when you get these double bye weeks, it get kind of screwed up. Uh, but thank you for that uh, email. Uh, this is a rec- this one's on recruiting. Does anyone think that if SC replaces Helton, the new head coach will have enough time for the recruiting uh, to get a staff in place? And uh, yeah, this isn't really worded well. So basically wants to know, will a new staff have time to uh, get recruiting going again. And so it depends when that happens because the early signing period is December 18th. And for USC, what do you do? If you're doing something December 2nd, say, what happens? Uh, you have a couple weeks to get things ready. Well, if you make a, a, if you fire a coach and you don't hire anyone right away, obviously that's going to be different. So it's the up to the rest of the staff so if you fire Clay Helton and the rest of the staff is still there, they're they're going to try to talk to everyone, not in deciding necessarily, but to delay to sign in February because that will give the new coach time. So you're essentially trying to buy time. If someone a new coach is hired right away, uh, then it's a lot of calls to recruits where like, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm just asking you, don't sign in February. I mean, don't sign in December. Sign in February, and if you can, buy, you know, then you can recruit them more. And try to get them on campus and all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, there's not a lot of time. We're talking, you know, you're less than a month away from the signing period. So what what does that mean? Yeah, it's uh, it's the timing has to be. I mean, it's there's just no question that the timing has to be. Uh, it has to you have to do this quickly. Otherwise, the recruiting class is most likely gone. Now, can you make a? decision on your coach that could affect the next 10 years because of one recruiting class? Probably not, but it's got to be taken into consideration that if you can make a move faster and it's not going to hurt your decision-making, then just make it faster because 
Otherwise, you're going to put the new coach who you are hiring and you're putting your butt on the line to hire this person behind the eight ball, losing an entire recruiting class. Uh, let's play another voicemail. Hey, Parasite Podcast. This is Eric from Salina, Texas. You guys do a great job all throughout the season, really strong reporting, and uh, so I really appreciate all the work that goes into what you do, and it's about to get even more interesting in the Trojan world. So thank you in advance for your reporting. Uh, with the prospect of having a new coach come in, I'm wondering if you could remind us what kind of access you get to ask tough questions to the coaching staff. Um, are there topics you're not allowed to talk about? Are there things you're not allowed to report on? I'm mindful of our war room we have every week. Are there things that you're just plain can't talk about? Um, and does, how does that impact your reporting? Thanks. Bye, Don. Thanks uh, for the call. And yeah, we can ask anything we want. I mean, there's... You know, there's a courtesy. There's, a, I mean, there's some some unwritten rules uh, about that. I mean, you want to be able to, if you want to have a relationship with these coaches and you want them to answer your questions and maybe answer off the record stuff, maybe get some behind the scenes stuff for those war rooms. Uh, I mean, you're not going to go out there and and be you know a complete jerk, but you know you can ask tough questions all the time, and and I think a lot of us do. We ask things and you don't necessarily get the the answer that you want. So, you know, I remember asking Steve Sarkeesian about their blitz rate and he was pretty pissed off, you know, uh, and wasn't real happy about it. They blitzed uh, at the time USC was the, in the power five, no one blitzed less uh, than USC. And I essentially pointed that out. They started blitzing more after that, but he wasn't real happy with the question. But I mean, you have to ask those kind of things. I have asked a lot of special team stuff and I uh, get some behind the scenes pushback. Um, you know, I just got a text from uh shotgun, uh, you know, that I pointed out another special teams play where they had fewer than 11 people on the field. That's happened consistently. Uh, I pointed out the, you know, USC's rate of returning kickoffs and something that David mentioned earlier in the podcast. And, you know, I asked, you know, John Baxter was asked about that. That's what they do, you know, uh, and, and, you know, I asked Clay Helton about that and, you know, we did, I don't questions like that. There's not that what we say is it's not, you're, you're not watching um, some movie where you're getting, you're going to like, it's a gotcha moment and we're going to catch you in a lie on trial. Like that's just not the way it's more like asking a politician a question and they're going to say uh, what, you know, they're going to spit it in their positive way. And, if you say, hey, why is this going so poorly? They're going to tell you why things are going right in these other directions. It's just sometimes there's just nothing you can do. You're, you, we're like, we're not going to change what's going on. I mean, we can write a story and, you know, I, and, and to be fair, you know, we've done things where we've asked questions and maybe it's pointed it out to the public. It's not necessarily about we've got a gotcha moment for the coach, but you make the public aware and then they know, oh, USC doesn't blitz that much. And maybe they would, they didn't want, they didn't want to do it for a reason, but they know they probably should. And then they had to blitz more because everyone's going to know and they're going to, and then everyone will be asking about that. Um, when I asked about the, the kickoff returns, they, they started kicking, you know, doing fewer kickoff returns in the very next game. So, you know, I guess it has some kind of impact, but that's just more about us observing things and pointing things out. than we're like putting the coach on the spot uh, with the questions. So no. And, and, as far as what we're reporting, it's just like anything. It's not just with coaches. It's just if you're a journalist at all, we hear things all the time. But I'm not going to, rep- you know, if someone tells me, I heard Clay Helton is uh, is definitely going to be fired the, like the minute the UCLA game ends. Like say someone told me that. Uh, I'm not going to report that because one person said, like now I have to go out and try to verify it. And I'm not going to report something that's just because I heard something. Just every rumor you hear, you can't just throw it out there. Um, people stop listening to you because we hear so many rumors. Some end up being true. A lot of them don't. And a lot of people, you know, they get a source and they're like, I'm going to tell, tell you this, but blah, blah, blah. And it's not necessarily, you know, sometimes the game of telephone where the source told them something that was true, but they sort of changed it in their, like what they wanted it to, to be. And then they, they report that to you. And it's like, well, that's not exactly what was originally said. And sometimes what was really said ended up being wrong anyway. So that's kind of sort of how it works. So if someone tells you something salacious, you're like, okay, well, I'll try to find out and and confirm from someone else. I'm like, hey, blah, 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 Mr. Person that I know that works at USC. Is this true? 
off the record, blah, whatever. And, you know, a lot of times you don't get an answer. Uh, sometimes you do, you don't, you know, if you get confirmation, then you're like, okay, we can go with it. Um, you know, we had, uh, when Hunter Eccles was going to be out for the season, we were told he was going to have surgery and be done for the season. Well, we were trying to confirm, uh, from sources and we actually got confirmation, but people didn't want it out. So they weren't like, well, yes, that's true, but, um, we want some time. So, you know, there's a courtesy there where we're not going to report on that. And that, that's not like a huge story anyway. Um, you know, it's huge for Hunter Eccles and his family, but it's not like something that, you know, if we don't report that USC fans are going to go crazy. So that's basically uh, how it works. Hopefully that was uh, explained well for you. Let's see. This one's titled, uh, would anyone help me please? Uh, it says, I have no idea where I am. This is Rick from La Mirada. Our upcoming recruiting class classes look to be the lowest in years, but basketball gets the best recruit. Um, USC gets you to the NBA football gets you a flyer. If lucky now in the NFL, uh, how do the Trojan brass not fix now to try and salvage some recruits? Don't worry. We're told by Helton. Golly G will be okay. Enough. When is the move going to happen? Uh, love you guys fight on to victory. Hey Rick. Yeah. I think we talked about this stuff already, but certainly, yeah, the recruiting class is not good right now. And I don't think it's going to change unless there is a coaching change. If now, if Clay Elton's retained and Mike Bone comes back and says, hey, he's our guy, I think they could pick up some recruits and people at least know, okay, Clay Elton's back. But the problem is you're in the exact same position as you were last year where everyone's going to assume Clay Elton's a lame duck for the entire season. And you lose a game or two and then it's over. And that's what happened this year. You're three and three. And you knew that wasn't going to be good enough. And even finishing strong, if, if USC could have beat Oregon and finished like nine and three, you might've been able to bounce back, but losing to Oregon and you beat the rest of the, the kind of bottom dwellers on your schedule, that's not moving the needle. So eight and four, if USC is able to finish that way and beat UCLA, that's not good enough after five and seven. So that's not going to help the recruiting class. Uh, Alex in LA also has a topic, a, a question about recruiting. Hey Ryan, of all the shortcomings of coach Helton, the current state of the recruiting class, 77th in the country at 11th of the Pac-12 is the most troubling. That's nothing short of total ineptitude on the part of the coaching staff. Have you or anyone asked Helton directly to explain himself for this? If so, what has he said? Thanks, fight on, Alex. Um, hey, Alex. Yeah, no, you're right. But I don't. I wouldn't say it's the coaching staff shortcoming. They've recruited okay before. Just they're in not. They're not in a great position right now because everyone knows they're lame ducks, and they just want to know what the future is. Is it Helton? Is it not? So I feel like their hands are a little bit tied as far as the recruiting goes, but that's the position you're in. Like if you were coaching better, you wouldn't be in this position, but they, you know, they've lost 11 games over the last two years. That's why the recruiting class is as bad as it is. They also had bad leadership in the athletic department and didn't make the move last year when they should have. So now that's why you're in this position this year. So it's not all Clay Helton, but a lot of it, it's there. And so now that's up to Mike Bone. He's the only one that can uh, fix this right now. And uh, we can't, we've asked questions, but every question about recruiting has to be general. And if you ask Clay Helton about, hey, why is your recruiting class ranked so high? Here's the answer you'll get is we don't look at stars. We like to evaluate. And they started saying this last year when they, they got all these four stars were dropping them and five stars were dropping them. They were getting three stars. So they're saying we like the evaluation process. And you know what Clay Helton can point to is look at, uh, Keenan Christian, look at Keaton Slovis, uh, Keaton Slovis, Keaton, God, why do I say Keaton? Keaton Slovis. Um, look at those guys, their studs, uh, uh, Drake London, um, guys that weren't necessarily ranked highest in their class or, you know, they were high three stars. We found them, we evaluated them and that's what we get. So don't look at all the rankings. That doesn't mean as much. And they have some data to kind of, you know, to help that. Now, the problem is this class doesn't have anyone like that, that I see. There's a lot of projects. It's just, there's nobody, but that's the kind of answer you're going to get. They can't go specifics and they'll tell you in general, they're going to don't look at rankings. They're going to use, uh, you know, if they were ranked number one, they would look at the rankings. You're ranked number 77. You say rankings don't matter. Like that's basically how that works. All right. We've got one last one from Ed in the Bay area. This is titled Mike Bone. Uh, I've been impressed with the new athletic director so far. Obviously, he has a long way to go, but I've already seen two interviews by him since his hire. Uh, he already looks to be putting his money where his mouth is. He won the opening presser. 
Now he's actually doing something. He said he would listen. He said he's going to go out and, and, and he's going out and doing just that. Very refreshing. Just thought I'd drop uh, you a quick note slash thought. Fight on, Ed, in the Bay Area. Yeah, Ed, I've been really impressed too. Like we said before, I got to sit next to him uh, for a half an hour or so at the uh, basketball game last week. And he was great. Great to talk to. I feel like he's doing a lot of the right things. And that's all you can ask. He's an actual athletic director. So all those times when I was pounding the table and telling you, why are you hiring Pat Hayden? Why are you hiring uh, Lynn Swan? This is why. Because you get someone who's actually done the job before and just being competent, they're going to look really good. Now, for Mike Bone, it's great that you've had a couple of football players before you because you just need to do your job and people are going to love it. And that's what he's doing. I think he's, so far, he's been it's been great. And I'm really impressed with what he's doing. But the big move is coming up soon or the big non-move or whatever. So that's where... Uh, he's going to be judged. What is he able to do? Does he make a change like the program needs? Does he get someone big like the program needs? If he can do that, then, I mean, basically in this first month of his tenure, he sets himself up forever. Like that's that's going to be the biggest move of his USC career, most likely, is what he does over the next couple of weeks. So, all right, let's wrap things up. Thank you so much for all the questions, the calls, the texts, the emails. Uh, thanks to David Woods for coming on and uh, sharing some insight about the UCLA Bruins. I'm Ryan Abraham, your host. I hope you guys enjoy Rivalry Week. Uh, check out all the stuff up on uscfootball.com. We have tons of content. Keep going up all the time. So thanks again for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Parastyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.